Today's episode, once again, as always, brought to you by our good friend, Michael Knappet, Draper and Kramer. Every episode, I talk about how you should calm and refinance, but right now, you actually literally should do that. Mortgage rates are at the lowest in the history of banking. You can get a 30-year fixed for 2.75. I'm not joking. Literally in the twos. Um, it's probably lower than the rate of every single person listening right now. So you basically have no excuse to not call him today. So you should do that. I'm going to do it also because I love... Yeah, we should just call him for fun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love trying to refinance to save money. So What's again... phone number? Well, one second. I just want to reiterate that. Oh, sorry. It's literally lower than your rate. Who, okay. All you listening. So you got to call him up. 847-239-7804. 847-239-7804. Hey. Hey, Mom. What's up? Really, what I really want to know is how supportive Malka is of this podcast venture. Believe it or not, you're going to be really excited about this, but uh, we are... Probably uh... not, if you and I are calling me about something. Okay. <laughs> well, that went well. <laughs> I think she hung up. <laughs> you guys are so bored, seriously. <laughs> are you going to listen to it? Well, I don't know. I so I don't listen to things that really relate to my life. <laughs> wow, that that hurts. Oh, that that's that great. Right in the gut. <clears throat> I mean, you guys have nothing better to do with your time. I figured it's about time you do something. Now you're obviously very bored because you have no idea if Nikki was going to actually be happening. <laughs> We're calling it 990 yeah. Talk. A lot of people out there think that those who can't make profit work in nonprofit, and that may or may not be true. You know, we're just like two dudes in, in a world that most people are focused on chasing every dollar. We kind of just want to show people that there's a niche for guys like us. In the meantime, we're out to at least talk about what it means to work in nonprofit. You know, just like changing the world is more important. So. Do me and you can do you, but I'm going to do what I love, do what I love. I'm going to do me and you can do you, but I'm going to do. Yo, Suli, what episode is this? Uh, I don't know. Oh, for real? I do know, but I thought we don't count anymore. Oh. I believe. No, I just feel like we're due because I've gotten 15. a lot of compliments about the intro and outro, specifically the music. People really like it. So I think we're due to give another shout out to AJ Barons. Thanks so much for letting us use your song. Would he um, have a share when we get bought up by Spotify? Um, I mean, I think we could offer him some sort of, yeah, we'll, offer, whatever, we'll have to discuss it then. We'll discuss it then. Have you heard from him since? No. <laughs> no, not at all. I wonder if he listens. I guess not. Um, yeah, probably, probably not. Um, I wonder if people like know him or have like said, oh, hey, I heard your song on the podcast, you know? But all right, it's cool. Well. He's too busy, man. You know who's not busy this year? Oh, I got to go there. Well, you're busy. It's just different. It's a different kind of busy. We're all a different kind of busy. Yeah. I mean, look, we're mid-July here. No camp. It's kind of, it's just weird, you know? Yeah, it's definitely strange. I definitely have a lot of things that I miss about camp for sure. I mean, I have, listen, it has given me some opportunity to do some other things. I feel like we're going to be super prepared for next year. Are we? I hope so, yeah. If we don't have to, yeah. Yeah, I hope so too. I'm saying, assuming that things, you know, are smooth sailing from here on out. Getting a lot of, like, parents sending me messages about how they're very hopeful that camp will run next year me too because 
Me three. I don't want to forget how to run camp. Would we like forget? It's funny. I was thinking about that. Like, what's it going to be like to get back into the swing of things next summer? Having, having after having had a summer off, and like if some for some reason we don't have camp next summer, like I feel I don't know. Is it like riding a bicycle? Like you just get back on and you know you know what to do. I really hope so. What if I like get up there that like first night of camp after dinner when I have to like do like orientation for all the campers, and like I forget the rules. So it's funny. So like I, you know, I'm obviously back in this role, and like I had like this moment where I was like, I forgot how to run, Top Golf, but then like I started and then like I remembered again. You mean our, our right our spring fundraiser? Yeah, but like I, it was like this moment of like panic, like I forgot how to do this. Yeah, you get right back into and it. And then I remembered. But yeah, yeah. I imagine I'll get back into my like uh, that day will come and I'll just sit down at my summer office desk, you know, with that loud air conditioner like blaring next to my ears. Mm-hmm. Um, on not so much sleep, and I'll probably just I'll probably just get right snap back into it. into it. Yeah, like it never like I never left. You know. Anyway, so we haven't dabbled into this yet so much, but uh, I think today we're gonna we're gonna nominate the board directors of the best things about being a kid in summer camp just as a, a nostalgia piece and uh carly's not in the office today but uh we're gonna call her up and uh and here we go all right let's jump into this board of directors here so can i just say a couple hey. things before we start i have one thing for i sure. have to say but go for it i feel like i'm at an advantage and a disadvantage number one i'm at a disadvantage well i would say it's really both because you guys went to the same camp am i wrong that is correct that is correct. So yeah. you guys might have overlap on stuff. So I have that advantage. But at the same time, I had a lot of really good ones that you guys would not have gotten the jokes. So I actually have the, because not only do you guys go to the same camp, it was a co-ed camp and it was in the Midwest. So like I actually could do my own board of directors for a single gender camp in the New York area for anyone else, anyone that wants to hear it. If you want to text me, I've got a bunch of really good ones that when I come up with them, I'm like, <laughs> I can't say them on the podcast because right. they won't go over. So there's, Go ahead. Okay. What do you want to so say? I have two things, which one of them is related. Number one is um, I <clears throat> have to make a conscientious effort to not think of camp as a camp director. I wanted to do this board of directors as like, what are my? Oh yeah, for sure. It's got to be no, as okay. a kid. Yeah, but that's not that wasn't an easy thing for me. Why? Because like, you have trauma. Like, what do you? No, it's no trauma. It's just like I've you know, like for adults that haven't been to camp since they were 18 years old, you know, they're thinking of like what camp was like when they were 18 or 14 or 12. You're saying all um, you think of is lack of sleep. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, like I think of things like working Wi-Fi. you know, as a camper, I never thought about working Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> That's I think, a great call. I think about things like, uh, I don't know, on-time deliveries of food and milk <laughs> and produce. I think about, I think about like, I don't know, blown, I, whatever fuses. I, there's a lot of things. I, uh, plumbing. I mean, I think about things that you're like you basically your your board directors of camp is just like things not going wrong. Well, right, <laughs> <laughs> correct. So I had to like really like close my eyes and think about what it was like to be a camper um, before I did these. And the other thing was I did not want to be too camp specific about the camp I went to. So I'm trying to be. I tried to be very um, global in thought. That's, okay, that's good. That's good because I I'm pretty specific. Okay. I mean, eh, we'll see. Okay. You you're you're gonna start talking about trash run. Okay, don't give it away. Oh, I mean, okay, no, I didn't, fine. but I should have. Well, okay. all right, well, okay. no inside okay, jokes. Okay, no, no inside, inside jokes. jokes. No inside <laughs> okay, jokes. Who okay, who should go first? Okay. You know what? Carly went first last time. Um, Ari will go first. I'll today. go first. Okay, so one thing that um is part of the phenomenon of overnight summer camp, uh, is the clip on fan. So I don't. 
Again, some people go to camps that have air conditioning. I personally was a camper in a camp that did not have air conditioning. Just I agree. About, there was no, no one had air, just con- about, air conditioning 20 years ago. Just about anywhere. And the clip-on fan that was like attached to your bed next to your head and you tried to sleep with it like basically like attached <laughs> to your face um, is a huge was a huge thing for me. Uh, that was number one. Number two, which is very... Wait, yeah. so you're saying clip-on fan as opposed to like the stand-up fan? What's a stand... The box fans. Oh, the box fans? Okay, so there was no room in any of the bunks that I grew up in uh, for, like, everyone to have their own rotating fan with a stand, you know, on a stand. (laughs) Um, It was more like every kid came to camp and they brought their own clip-on fan. It wasn't, like, an offensive, you know, use of space in a small, crowded bunkhouse. You just had your clip-on fan and it sat, you know, you clipped it onto your bed or you clipped it onto the, you know, the makeshift... um, those plywood shelves that we had. Were you a top bunk or a bottom bunk guy? I was always a top bunk guy because I was tall. Wow. I was oh, tall. Not okay. because I wanted to be, but because like the shorter kids had, you know, they're like, listen, sorry, you're going to have to go on the top because there's a bunch of shorter kids in this bunk and they're not going to be able to get up there. So then I just got used to it and I stayed, I stayed on a top bunk. I will say though, as I got older and then when I was on staff, I had graduated from the clip on fan to this massive box fan. (laughs) Those are always the best Right, okay, but let me tell you something about this particular box fan, and I think I'm going to have to, now that we're talking about it, I'm going to have to dig up a picture of it, and maybe we'll put it on social media. It was named The Beast. It was a box (laughs) fan that was for sure um, made before 1980, maybe 19, probably mid-70s this thing was built, it was brown, not because of age, just because that was like the cut you color. Say, when you say built. I, I imagine metal. like it was so big that people were like actually building it with like ladders and hammers. And <laughs> so <metals. laughs> the square, the square itself was probably the same size as like what you would get at Walmart today as a box fan, but the depth was like really thick, <laughs> and the thing was a monster of a box fan. A mo- it it was so much more powerful than any other box fan. Was it loud? Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't loud. At least at first it wasn't loud. After a few years of abuse, it was loud. I found it in the basement of the house. I don't know what it was from. The first summer I brought it, like, I remember my friends like making fun of me. Like, what is that thing? I'm like, you just wait till I plug it in and you'll see. So I, I have clear memories of seeing like you bring that on the bus. The beast. Yeah. Yeah. Carly top bunk or bottom bunk. Okay. Well, I was top bunk for a while. I also am kind of a people pleaser. So if they're like, you got to get top bunk, I'll be like, fine, I'll do it. But one summer I fell off my top bunk bed. Uh I was just about to say when I I was in camp. So like in the younger bunks, the, the, the the bunk beds had like, like the, the thing that keeps you on the bed in the older bunks, they don't. And I would always like have this fear about like falling off the bunk bed, even though it makes no sense because I've never fallen off my bed on a low bed. But I guess my fears were not unfounded, so carry on with the story. Well, you do know that camp mattresses are typically a lot thinner and smaller than what... That shouldn't matter. I mean, it does. There's less wiggle room. Like if, but, I, but also, it has to do with the bed itself. Like, in the old bunks, there were metal beds that had the spring that you can, like, push people up. Yeah, wait. <laughs> you did them. they, get, did <laughs> they <laughs> get new beds since then? Yeah, and now in the newer bunks, there's those wood bunk beds that are legit oh, so. yeah i only remember the spring beds and wait so carly so talk to us about when you fell off the bed were you like were you asleep okay. like what was that like 
no, no, no. Okay, so me and my friends obviously played a game where people would go on the top bunk and someone would be on the bottom one and push up the the bed above them to make it almost like a, like a ride. It would be fun. And then they said, okay, we're done. I was on the top bunk, and I, they were done, and the game was over. And then they, like 10 minutes later, decided to do one really big push-up, and I went flying. I fell off fell onto my trunk that was full of like stuff like junk trunk. and then i fell rolled onto the floor and like rolled for like 10 minutes for li- for Pretty 10 trunk. minutes did you like roll yeah, out of yeah. the bunk like down the hill Kept to the rolling. lake like where'd you where'd yeah. you roll i see a meme coming out of this <laughs> like, a, I, like an I, endless like, roll yeah i rolled like into the closet out of the closet out to the dirt to the mud you know so you're saying that role. so basically you're telling us that drama was your favorite part of camp <laughs> i mean yeah well no cooking but that's another thing okay oh, all right number two let's well, go she just touched on my number two which was the trunk so um in the camp that we went to it was like a big deal everyone brought you brought a trunk and you brought a duffel bag a lot of camps have moved away from the trunk Probably because wow. it's like really not practical, and it, <laughs> yeah, but, but it always it has space. Accomplishes, it always has space for one more thing. It accomplishes nothing, but it was an it was a bottomless pit for packing. <laughs> Somehow you yes. were always able to fit more into it, but really the trunk was most important because it became like your. I don't I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, but like it like was a your, bedside table. Yeah, well, it, it. I mean, it served a lot of purposes. I mean, we played cards on it. You store stuff in there. Also, you got to lock it. So, like, if you had something you weren't supposed to have in camp and you didn't want your friends or your counselor to know about it, so then, like, you just locked it up in your trunk. For some reason, that was okay. It was, like, this space that you had that was just, like, a few feet by, uh, you know, a few square feet, and it was, like, your personal space in camp. I just want to say, so I don't necessarily uh – get the trunk thing so much because I had to fly to camp and it's not practical for air travel. Oh, did you, but were there other kids in camp that had, had the camp trunk? So I don't really remember that. Yeah. It's because I mean, you went to camp in the 2000s. But the duffel bags, I went to camp before that actually. Oh. But the duffel bags, I think the duffel bags were practical because you could like fit a hockey stick in there. Uh, I guess Whoa, it depends how a- big you are. When I was like, when I was like, Four in fourth grade? Yeah, so a fourth grade hockey stick would fit in a duffel bag. Correct. All right, what's your number one and two? Okay, number one for me is like this. You need a hookup in the canteen. Okay. And it's really threefold. Number one, because if the canteen's open, there's probably a line. So you need someone that's just going to, you go on the back and they hook it up for you. You don't have to wait in line. Okay. Number two, sometimes you don't want to pay. And, uh, you know, depending on how strict the canteen people are, I don't condone stealing from canteen. It's not stealing. It, it stealing. just depends on the item. Like, no, no, they, no. They don't keep such good in- inventory on hot food. True or false? I mean, you want to know how, what we do or like what? I don't know. Do? I'd, rather, I'd rather be in the dark. Okay, <laughs> so we do a pretty good we do a pretty good job of inventory. The I'm hot, saying, food, I the feel hot like, food thing is funny because like French fries, for example, it's hard to know exactly how many servings of French fries. Yeah, you get exactly, out of and also you're not gonna you're not gonna fries. take inventory. You're gonna take inventory on a package of hot dogs, not every hot dog. No, okay, some camps might do it that way. That's kind of reckless, but oh, you also have to realize that going back to when I was in camp, it was like before fancy canteen computer systems. Okay, so like everything was like handwritten, so like it was just easier to you know. And number You're three, s- and the third part is off hours. Let's say you want food and like the canteen's closed. How are you getting in? You I know, but up. 
How old were you mm. when you had a cookup that was getting you into the canteen in off hours? That was more of a staff, maybe staff in training. Age. I feel like you got to be not younger than seventh grade. Okay. Because that's just kind of weird. Yeah, that'd be strange. If, yeah. Thank you for the Number folds. two for me. There is nothing more exciting as a camper in camp than getting a golf cart ride. A golf cart ride. Yeah. Wow, that's a great one. Your parents could have a Ferrari. And it doesn't matter. If doesn't you're in camp, it, it's still not as thrilling as getting a ride on a golf cart. For be, some reason. It makes no sense. You could be that kid that like just left your house in you know Beverly Hills with like six cars, but you spend the next four weeks begging the head staff to give you a ride on the back of a golf cart. Agreed. Makes no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense. That's a fantastic call. That was a great one. Okay, Carly, one, two. Let's go. All right. Well, mine are kind of boring, but I'll explain them. Okay, my first one. The classic cliche, making new friends, but here's a twist. Also trying to keep your old ones. Like for me, I went to camp with people I went to school with. Like I think 90% of the camp was people I grew up with. So it was difficult for me to try and stay friends with them and not get in fights. So wait, so Struly was right. About what? No, that drama is your favorite part of camp. (laughs) (laughs) Drama follows me. Uh-huh. I'm just somehow... saying your first your first thing basically sounds like drama. You might oh, as well have just said the number one thing about camp <laughs> is drama. So when, when, when I was like prefacing like the disadvantages advantages I had versus <laughs> me versus you guys, the fact that Carly went to like camp with girls like a whole different like my head's gonna explode. I don't know like, where well, we go. You would have had the, she would have the same problem at an all girls camp. No, I'm just saying your experience of yeah. camp for girls is different than for oh, boys. Yeah, I'm not course. saying because it was uh, yeah, single gender course. co-ed. Just like yeah. I would never have thought of that because I would not waste energy on that. All right, Carly, what's your number two? Okay, my number two is the bunk diet. The best thing about camp is that it's a free-for-all of what you can eat in camp. Like, in the bunks, you can eat a full package of Chips Ahoy cookies, and no one will blink an eye at you. That's true. Yeah, it is true. Okay, Ari, three, four, go. Go, Ari. You forgot your three and four? Um, No, I wanted to make a change, and I forgot it. All right, so number three for me is similar to the phenomenon around the golf cart ride um, is mail. Like, if I'm home and, like, if I'm, you're in sixth grade and you're at home and like your mom's like, oh, here, there's a piece of mail with your name on it. Like that thing could go like weeks before you open it. Like who cares, you know? But if you hear that you have a piece of mail waiting for you, wherever the camp the office is. the greatest feeling in the world. That little envelope with your name on it. I mean, it means the world to you. You rip that thing open. And if it's a package? Okay, so that's like, that's like ecstasy. That. I was like, come on. That was, that was your four? No, it's part of that. It's just mail and care packages. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll... I'm just excited. Care package. No, I know. Today. This is this is getting us. This is all... way too fun. Okay, do me a favor. Let me come back to my four because I, I had a really good one just now about. Okay, about, fine. I'll go. So you three. you get yeah, you go number three. Okay, number three for me is the weird phenomenon that people feel they need to stay up all night the last night at camp. Like, why do oh, we do that? Yes. Yes. Huge. Why? But why do we Huge. do that? Huge. It makes no sense. Yeah. It, it makes a little sense. You're like, oh, and you get all this time in with this people right. that don't no, live so, near me. So but for boys, no, Carly, that's like maybe for girls. For boys, just like, <laughs> let's just stay up as late as possible and annoy the staff. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. There's there's no like sent- sentimental value. It's oh, I remember like, four. I remember four. I remember four. Well, now you have four. to wait. No, I can't wait. wait. I, I can't wait. I, I have, have to spit it out. Say, I just have to say the best feeling of being a staff member after being a camper is like not having that pressure to stay up. Being like, I'm going to bed. 
No, that's a great call. Do <laughs> you? Like, and, also, and also, if you're a counselor, it's like you basically have shed your responsibility because the kids are leaving tomorrow anyway. <laughs> yeah. So like, the, like that's that's really what it comes down to. The, the campers. You guys don't want the director's perspective on the last night of camp, do you? No. Because it's no, not, no. It's very, it's very sobering. No, we don't want to know. Oh no! Then. No no! Keep keep your negative energy out of here. Fun. We're gonna keep yeah, this fun. Yes, you're so bitter. Okay, you ready for my number four though? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go okay. For it. So this might have been specific to the camp that we we went to, but uh, there was definitely this culture where like you knew when the staff were going out on like a day off or a night off, and you would give them money to buy you stuff. Now I don't want to get into the pricing of what that was. Like it it probably didn't like a can of Pringles did not cost five bucks. But they're like, oh, give me a can of barbecued Pringles and like, okay, give me five bucks. And then you woke up the next morning and there was a can of barbecued Pringles next to your pillow. That's fair. That's fair game. I feel yeah, like it's no, contraband. That's okay. like, if yeah. you're, like it's, it's, it's black market. Yeah, no, it's totally okay. The prices were what the prices were. I don't think we complained about them. Um, okay, but there was a couple summers where we would – I don't I, I don't know how this became a thing. This is very camp specific and Carly just made me think about it. We used to pay our counselors or whatever staff were going out, and we used to collect um, cake. Uh, what's it called? That like stuff on the frosting. It was just cake frosting, but like the type of cake frosting, like the colored stuff that comes out of a tube. I'm so lost here. And I don't we know would, what you're talking we about. would buy this cake frosting and we would eat it. We would eat cake frosting plain. <laughs> We would pop the, we'd pop off the top of the cake frosting tube and we would literally suck cake frosting and we paid probably a dollar a thing. So like by the end of the summer, we would all have this like our own collection of these different varieties of cake frosting flavors and we would eat cake frosting. That is something that I don't think like the day camp was over, cake frosting didn't taste good anymore. But in camp, disgusting. in camp, we would hoard cake frosting. Okay, that was kind of weird. And that's my number four. You <laughs> that, really got me thinking like a camper. Right. You guys really got me thinking like a camper now. Okay. My number four is the feeling that you get when camp, when the bus makes the turn into camp on the first day. Oh, great oh. one. Because I, I'm like getting that feeling right now. That stomach, just, that feel, the butterflies in the stomach. And you see yes. like, and you, you're like, you're driving to that random part of camp that like no one even really goes to, but like you're still excited and you see the sign. It really comes before that. But when you make the turn onto the street so that camps in, turn, yeah. because sure. you, it's a long bus ride, you're super pumped. Like you're looking forward to camp for 10 months. It's a three hour bus ride, more probably. Preach, where you're brother, going. yeah. <laughs> the whole time excitement's just building. You're on the, you're on the bus with your friends. You're just talking about stuff like in previous summers. You're just getting jacked but you're up. You're a little you, bit nervous about your bunk. Let's be honest. You're so nervous about your bunk. Let's be honest. So you're that anxious because you're, you're excited. Wondering who's in your you're bunk. anxious about who's in your bunk. The whole thing. It's just it's just a massive angst angst fest. I want to go back to fifth grade. And you make that turn into camp, and it's just like, it's euphoria. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a great call. What I would do to go back and be a camper. No. Best times of our There's lives. There's a big movement now in the camping world. A lot of the camps are hosting um, adult camps. I mean, they're like young adult camps, but they're and basically adults are going to camps and regressing into their childlike selves. Sign me up for like a week. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> I'm down. Okay, Carly, go for it. Three okay. and four. All right, my three and four. Okay, here's my three. The camp tan. You're. In camp, you think you got the best tan of your entire life, and then you come home, and it's all dirt. Your tail can be. <laughs> it just it's like comes dirt. off. It comes <laughs> off in the post camp shower. 
<laughs> yeah, and somehow in the camp shower, it didn't come off. But in your Great. house shower, very important. <laughs> it comes all off. Is that because maybe you didn't take a shower in the camp no, shower? No, it's the water is just different. I don't know. I hear it's that. Different. I hear that. Or, that that post camp shower does a lot more than every shower you would take in the last four weeks before. Okay, I'll do my my four. Yeah. Um. Okay, this one, it's a kind of whatever. I'll just say it. The chance to be your weirdest self. Oh, agreed. And I'm yeah. Because when you're in camp, you could wear anything you want. You can do anything you want. And people will just think that you're funny for being weird. Like, people thought I was a very funny person because I am just, I'm not normal. So, camp allowed me to do that. Because in school, I would have to be normal. Yeah, there's definitely no normal in camp. Or the camp normal is just a very different normal. Good times, overnight summer camp. Good times. We didn't get into any of the food stuff in the dining hall, though, but that's okay. You had enough weird food takes. We had enough weird food takes. Okay, really cool interview today with Jason Riley. Jason Riley is the executive director of Tickets for Kids. Um, kind of self-explanatory. They literally give tickets to kids. Well, maybe they give, maybe they give like uh, parking tickets. Oh, oh, but kids don't drive, no, so like it can't bicycle. be that. No, it could be. Like, yeah, it's like deductive reasoning. Like, what are the only tickets yeah, that kids get, could get? You can get tickets for curfew. I got, I got. As a kid? Yeah, I got before. I, yeah. I was, if you're, yeah. Who paid for it? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember that part. I probably did. Or I had to work it off somehow. Did it come out like, out of like your allowance? I don't know, but you know my father. There was no way that like, yeah, you know, I yeah, was he, getting he, off. He, you you know paid for it, yeah. I paid for it somehow. There's probably like a, there's probably like a credit in your inheritance somewhere <laughs> down the line. In the balance sheet. <laughs> come back to bite me. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, whatever. I had friends before we were driving that we used to get in trouble for okay, but curfew. The tickets that we're referring to. Yeah, the tickets we're referring to are entertainment tickets. Um, I believe also museums. They basically pair up all these massive venues, organizations, teams, and they will broker tickets to deliver them to different youth organizations. Um, what's really interesting about it is it's not just about the game. Or the experience of that one, whatever it is, the museum, the game, the theater. Uh, it's a, there's a whole education component to it. And for many, if not most, I guess we'll hear about it a little bit more, it's their first time ever doing something like this. So it's a very cool non-for-profit. Um, I think they do something like over $6 million worth of tickets in a year. I imagine they've been pretty significantly impacted by the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to this interview a lot. Jason seems like a really sweet guy. He's very excited to get on. And here we go. All right, we welcome to the show from Tickets for Kids, Executive Director Jason Riley. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. So Jason, let's just jump right into it. Can you speak for our listeners a little bit about how you got involved in non-for-profit work and Tickets for Kids specifically? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've been involved in nonprofit work, uh, gosh, since I was in high school, probably. You know, I was drawn to it as sort of my extracurricular activities. Um, and what was was attractive to me about it is just sort of the, the I, I guess, the uh, pureness of heart that you see in others who are involved in that kind of work and, and the empathy that they have for, for the rest of folks and, and society around them and wanting to make life 
as good as possible for, for everybody in our communities. And so that's initially what drew me to it. When I realized I can make a career out of that, it was like, oh, wow, this is, uh, this is pretty cool. And so, um, you know, after I graduated college, uh, my first real uh, nonprofit uh, work was with Temple University, an inner city uh, uh, campus in Philadelphia. Uh, coordinating their office of community service. And, and I loved doing that kind of work. I went on to uh, do some international work with Eisenhower Fellowships. And and after that experience of the international work, I was really looking to have that sort of local impact again. And, and that's what was uh, attractive to me about Tickets for Kids uh, was just seeing you know, the work that they're doing to expose kids to, to the inspiration and education and sense of inclusion that happens inside of ticketed venues across our communities that, that they're so often excluded from. Um, and that I couldn't imagine my own life uh, not having had access to, to those sort of experiences. Was there a specific person that inspired you that maybe you wanted to emulate in terms of their career? You know, that's a great question. Um, and it's not, I've thought often about that. There's not one single person that I could say that is, and, and it changes over time. And so it typically, it's it's the people around me in the nonprofit community who inspire me, especially when you, know, you start to feel overwhelmed or, or, or sort of paralyzed by, by the challenges that you face. Um, so early on, that was gosh, a slew of people that I couldn't even begin to enumerate. Uh, now it's my colleagues in the Pittsburgh community. You know, I look um, to people like Salim Gabriel, who's running the Pittsburgh Promise and who, you know, through his actions, you just see how passionately he cares for our community. Uh, and there are so many folks like that that I could I could talk about uh, that I sort of draw that inspiration from. Um, if, if I were to name one, you know, early on, there, there was uh, Sister Mary Kay Kelly, uh, a Catholic nun who was, uh, you know, a, a very strong influence in my life, uh, personally and professionally, uh, and continues to be a dear friend. Jason, we play this game on the podcast sometimes called Nate. Um, okay. Guess the 501c3. So All right. the joke always is. Is that, uh, you know, like, Srilly will oftentimes just pick some random 501c3 you find on the internet, and I have to guess what it is based on the name. Tickets for Kids is probably of the easiest 501c3 names a person can guess. <laughs> um, but maybe let's dig into that a little bit. So how did Tickets for Kids start? What's its focus? Um, and what do you describe sure. as its community impact? Yeah, you know what, Ari, the fact that, that we're so easily identifiable by our name is a blessing and a curse, and, and I'll get into that in a bit. But, um, you know, how we were founded, our founders, husband and wife, Bruce and Susan Weiner, they were here in Pittsburgh. They went to see a basketball game at a venue that's in um, uh, uh, the Hill District here, and they noticed half of it was empty. And they said, you know what, I know that my friends have tickets to those seats that are empty right there. Uh, they're sitting in their kitchen drawer. For some reason, they didn't want to come tonight. And I also know that there are kids who literally live in the shadows of this institution and have never stepped foot inside who would love the experience of a live basketball game. And so that's how it started. You know, they started asking their friends for tickets and it grew from there. Um, what we have done since that was 26 years ago. Um, what we have done since is we have grown it uh, to, you know, before the, the pandemic, we were providing on an annual basis more than 200,000 tickets uh, valued at $7 million to all kinds of events. So it's sports, theater, science centers, family entertainment. Um, and we do that through a network of nonprofit partners who are serving low-income and at-risk kids. So it's the 
Um, you know, it's the frontline service providers, everybody you would think of from Boys and Girls Clubs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, on down to grassroots organizations being run out of uh, synagogues, churches, community centers. Uh, we partner with them uh, to provide those opportunities at no cost to the kids who are least likely to have them. So let me get this straight, because it sounds like a pretty cool and unique model. I mean, basically what you 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 serve as this go-between between these venues and these youth groups. That's right. That's exactly right. So initially, uh, Tickets for Kids, as I mentioned, when we started out, we were getting our tickets primarily from individuals. Now those 200,000 plus tickets, probably about 95% of them are coming from the venues, the teams, the promoters. And the way that we do that is we go, we say, look, here's our value proposition to you, right? You have unused seats. And if you can't sell them, we can help get them to the kids who would never have the opportunity to experience whatever it is you're putting on, your play, your game. Um, and in doing so, we can help you reach your you know, community engagement goals, audience diversification initiatives, build future audience bases. And so that's attractive to them. Um, and then in turn, that allows us to fulfill our mission on the other side of providing these opportunities at no cost uh, through our network of nonprofit partners. And so, of course, there's the third bucket of relationships that makes it all work, and that's uh, the funders. And so um, we don't charge any fee for service, uh, neither to the ticket donor nor to the recipient. Uh, we are fully funded uh, uh, through grant fundraising, event fundraising, all the, the traditional uh, means there that, that nonprofits employ. Who's like the coolest person you've met by doing all this stuff? Oh, that's an excellent question. Uh, so I'm going to go you know, completely offbeat here. And it is the clown that introduced me at uh, the Ringling Brothers of Barnum Bailey Circus. Uh, this guy, uh, it, it was not an experience I ever anticipated. And it was one that I didn't want to have. I don't like clowns. They asked me to come and introduce the circus. I didn't realize I was going to be, uh, you know, walked out into the arena by a clown. Uh, and so it, it was cool in that it was something I never in a million years would have anticipated. Yeah, that's definitely pretty wild. You guys, obviously, your impact is very large in terms of, I guess, you know, quote unquote, the dollar revenue of services that you provide. But it seems like your overhead for running the organization shouldn't be that big. Is that is that correct? And maybe you could speak about that. Yeah, so we're providing, uh, as I mentioned before, about seven million dollars in tickets each year. Our overhead uh, is a, about a million dollars, you know, during normal operating times. Uh, and the reason that is, and this goes back to what I said about, you know, the tickets for kids name being very simple, right? What is it that we do? We we get tickets and we provide them to kids. But the network that we've built and what we're able to offer to ticket donors and to the recipients as well is, is a heightened level of accountability. We know where all of the tickets go. We know how they're used. We work with our nonprofit partners to integrate them into other uh, initiatives. So they're using them to advance educational outcomes, to improve uh, behavioral incentives. Um, and so the value is so much more than just the value of that ticket. It's, it's more than... Um, what people often and understandably think is that, okay, so a ticket, that's a nice thing. It's a two hour experience maybe, and then it's over. Uh, what the Tickets for Kids Network is doing is working to build a community where that has a lasting impact. It's opening kids' eyes to all the things that the world has to offer. It's helping them to, to see the world in new ways and to imagine in the context of a supportive community, imagine what their place in that world can be. And so, 
Um, that's the part that it's harder to drive home uh, uh, to folks is that it's so much more than just a ticket. It's about the power of that experience and what it can inspire. If you don't mind, can you talk to us about the process? Do the non-for-profits find you or do you find them? How does that work, the matchmaking? Sure. So it's a little bit of both. Um, we do recruit uh, nonprofit agencies. You know, we do some marketing. Uh, we we are that person who calls and they say, this is too good to be true. And they hang up sometimes because uh, we're calling folks and saying, hey, we got free tickets and we want to give them to you and, and, and the kids in your service. Um, so it, it's outbound. Uh, and then it's also, uh, you know, relationships and, and referrals. You know, we've been here in Pittsburgh for 26 years. We partner with uh, probably uh, almost every nonprofit here serving low-income and at-risk youth. But in a newer market for us, like uh, Minneapolis uh, or New York, um, it's a lot of educating, educating partners. And then once they decide they want to partner with Tickets for Kids, they go through an application process, a vetting process, and then we we do training. Uh, and then we, you know, on an ongoing basis, we're deepening that relationship with them. So they're going into our portal, they're requesting tickets, they're doing post-event reports after every event they take kids to, talking about everything from how many kids was this their first time experiencing this particular event to the anecdotal uh, stories of impact. Uh, and so um, it really is a much deeper network than than I think people would would anticipate just sort of with a, with a cursory understanding of what we do. If we talk about the other side, the, the, the ticket donor side, how are those relationships formed? Yeah, so, um, you know, they're... The bigger relationships now, more often than not, are referrals from other ticket donors. So, for example, you know, I got a call from Ticketmaster who said one of our our, our big performers is looking for somebody to help fill seats. Uh, can I connect you with them? They asked us who's a trusted partner, and we said tickets for kids. And and so through that opportunity, you know, we got five thousand tickets to a top name performer in cities across the country, and she gave us tickets to the pit. You know, something these kids would never have the opportunity to experience. Um, and so that's you know part of the value um, that we bring to the ticket donors, um, and we really. In more cases than not now, ticket donors are coming to us than us finding the ticket donors. Uh, so they often look to us as an extension of their staff, essentially. So, you know, they have community engagement initiatives and goals. They they want to do uh, uh, they want to have community inclusion, um, but they don't often have the internal resources to figure out how best to do it. Or they're always turning to the same group to give the tickets to, and they and they want to you know spread that out a little bit further and have a greater impact. And that's what we're there to help them do. Are there any alumni who maybe at one point 20 years ago benefited from your service that now are giving back on the giving end? Maybe an athlete or performer that? You know, nobody I could point to specifically. And and that's something that we have not done well, frankly, uh, throughout our history is sort of track the long-term impact um, and, and get to know who those individuals are. We know that they're, they're out there, right? I meet people uh, who were Tickets for Kids recipients and are now running their own nonprofits and, and engaged in work to include other kids in these kinds of experiences. Um, but unfortunately, no, I can't give you a, a high-profile name of anybody there. So a lot of times non-for-profits think of like ideas or resources that they could use help with, um, and they're not always – you know, sometimes the lesson has been learned, and probably not often enough, that sometimes you just have to ask. Like a great example was 
um, going back a few years, actually, the summer camp we run, uh, some staff had walked into Starbucks and said to Starbucks, you know, we're a 501c3. We were doing for that summer, there was like a special Starbucks themed week that was going to be taking place in camp and asked Starbucks if there was anything they'd be willing to donate to the organization. And they did. Um, they donated a lot, actually. And it kind of became this thing as we were leading up to the summer. We were like making all these relationships with different Starbucks managers. So it taught me a lesson then that, you know, there are a lot of resources out there and sometimes we just have to ask. It's a funny thing. This whole Tickets for Kids, as we were preparing for this interview, also had me wondering, like, what types of things out there are there for non-for-profits to be benefiting from? But I think if they could understand a little bit more about this story and how you, you know, these big corporations and venues and artists and all that, these seem like the types of things that, and non-for-profits don't really have the ability to communicate or to reach out to. What would you say to that? Yeah, I would say, you know, start where it makes sense. You know, we're doing distribution now for 13 Major League Baseball teams. Well, not right at the moment, uh, but but uh, traditionally, we're working with 13 MLB teams to be their, their primary distributor for uh, commissioner's tickets. And, and that didn't happen because we were able to get access to the MLB. You know, that started because we... We said, who does this make sense for in Pittsburgh? Uh, we did that you know, 20 years ago, and it made sense to talk to the folks doing community relations for the Pirates. And then as we gained their trust, as you said, to just ask, say, who else can I talk to at MLB? And they said, well, why don't you come and you can talk to us during the offseason. You can do a, a pitch to the entire league. And then from there, it grew to, to 13 teams right and so that's something that i learned uh, fairly early in my career i would i would want to make these asks of organizations and i would start asking people you know who who knows the ceo who knows the president and i was asking the completely wrong question I, what i should have been asking myself and what i do ask myself now is what makes that organization tick you know what's important to them and then who's the person who's being measured on accomplishing that so for us at tickets for kids that means you know if we want to get in with you know the broadway theaters who's charged with with uh, increasing audience diversity who's charged with uh, building future audience bases. That's the person I want to talk to. I want to leverage the other relationships to get to them, of course. But as you said, if, if you ask, I think nowadays it's more important than ever because there's so much noise uh, in our lives uh, to figure out, you know, how can it truly be a, a two-way relationship for the person you're trying to get access to? What value can you bring to them uh, in addition uh, to them helping you achieve your mission? So, Jason, 2020 hits and all businesses find themselves doing things they, they might not have ever thought they'd have to do. Um, and in particular, obviously, 501c3s, many of them were in a very tough spot, us included, to have to cancel a summer camp um, and a summer program and still have to sort of educate all our stakeholders about what our costs are you know, that we incur regardless of whether or not we run the summer program. So I imagine you had a little bit of a similar situation. The entertainment business, for all intents and purposes, kind of shut down. So 2020 hits. What happens to Tickets for Kids? What What's it been like? Oh, absolutely. And I'm sorry to hear that you had to cancel the summer camp. Uh, you know, it came to a screeching halt in March. Uh, you know, in March, we were entering what would have been our, our peak season of activity. We should have been providing thirty to 40,000 tickets a month uh, to kids. 
And all of a sudden, the tickets weren't there. And so immediately, we asked ourselves, well, what value can we provide if we can't provide tickets? And so we started to leverage that network of institutional ticket donors, right? So between the sports teams and museums, et cetera, there's about 500 of them that we work with. And we said, you know, what are you guys doing? What can we help to get your virtual experiences and virtual opportunities to the communities that we serve? And so we started doing that in, in ways that you might expect, right? So the virtual tours and all those things, some really cool experiences happened out of that. So one example is uh, the Minnesota Opera, their costume shop started making masks with excess fabric, but they weren't quite sure who to distribute them to. And so they leveraged the Tickets for Kids Network, and we helped them do that. Um, since then, we've learned, like everybody else in the world, how to how to be experts at Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams and all the other platforms. And we've been doing a lot of live virtual events. I just uh, participated in one on Friday that the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater did for our groups um, for younger kids. So it was really cool. They started out teaching them basic ballet moves, went through the story of Peter Pan, taught the kids uh, uh, how to perform one of the scenes from Peter Pan. So you got 130 kids on Zoom, little kids uh, jumping up and down and dancing around in their living rooms or in their community centers. Uh, and then they took them on a tour of the costume shop. So they're introducing, we're, we're still able to introduce kids to you know, new worlds of experiences, uh, even during a time of isolation. But I think what's, what's really important for us at Tickets for Kids uh, is that this unique time has enabled all of us to really experience what true isolation feels like, to experience what it's like to not have access to those opportunities. As we hopefully in, in the near term future move on from this experience, you know, there are tons of kids in our communities who will still experience that isolation, whether there's COVID or not. And that's what we exist to do is to 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 change that narrative and make sure that they are having those experiences as we all start to return to them as well. Um, so just changing gears here a little bit in terms of, you know, in terms of like, I guess, uh, organizational management. So you operate a national nonprofit and you have a, a pretty powerful, uh, diverse board, if you will. So talk about, you know, what it's like to work with them and, and just, you know, managing that. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So uh, the you know the power and the functionality of a board for a nonprofit are critical to its success. And I think a lot of nonprofit execs uh, uh, don't focus enough on ensuring that that their board is not only you know supportive and, and able to build and leverage the relationships that you need for the organization, but that they're equipped with what they need to help the organization be successful. So, you know, for me, managing a board is as critical as managing the staff. Uh, if your board doesn't understand the, the direction, the strategy of the organization, if they don't understand what the organization needs to accomplish those goals, they're, they're not going to be as productive as they can be. Um, that said, it's got its own unique challenges, right? Because they're all volunteers. So um, you need to ensure that that you're inspiring the board on a regular basis. Uh, there's something that drew them to want to participate uh, as a board member in your organization. And you need to make sure that you're continuing to feed uh, that passion and to remind them why they're doing it so that they'll be working uh, on behalf of the organization. 
How forward are you with the board members as they join the board as far as what their roles will be? Um, and is that something that kind of has developed over time? Like what is their main influence in the organization? Sure. Uh, I'm incredibly forward with them. And, and we've really formalized our board recruitment process over the last uh, four years or so. When I joined Tickets for Kids, um, you know, like many organizations, it was a founder's board. Um, you know, people have been on the board for a long time, which is great. Um, and then we took advantage of an opportunity to merge another organization into Tickets for Kids. So there was an organization called Ticks for Tots in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, and when we did that, we said, here's an opportunity to really take a step back and, and reevaluate what is the purpose of the board? You know, how do we make it? How do we give it the tools that it needs to be most successful? Uh, and how do I, as an executive director, uh, help to facilitate that? And so we did a, a board retreat. We brought the folks from Minneapolis. We got together. Um, and uh, frankly, I brought in experts, right? Um, people who could help drive the conversation towards best practices and board governance, you know, establishing working committees, setting the expectations, being honest and open with your board members about what it is you're going to need from them. You know, it's just not fair to, to, you know, get somebody on your board, not be candid with them about what it is you expect, and then you get frustrated because they're not providing what you need. So as clear as you can be on that, um, it is so critical to the success of not only the organization, but uh, the board and executive director relationship as well. So I grew up in Chicago, uh, grew up watching Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, um, Chicago Blackhawks. To this day, and I, I do get to catch a game every once in a while, uh, when I walk into the United Center and I walk the tunnel and I like see the crowd on the other side of the, of the stadium and the floor, to this day, it still is like a feeling like no other. It's incredible. Do you, you get, get chills, right? Yeah, I still get chills, and I've been doing it my whole life. Do you do you get to go to the games ever? You know, with with any of the participants ever? It, I do, I do. It's not as often as I like, but I try to go at least two or three times a year. Um, be, you know, just to remind myself why we do the work that we do. And it's as you just mentioned, you walk in there, and if you could see these kids' faces light up and the just sort of the giddiness that they're filled with uh, and then you talk to them throughout the game and you realize that god they're starting to feel like 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 part of something so much bigger than themselves you know i always took for granted i didn't even think about this when i was younger and going to games but there is such a sense of community you know when you, when you're sitting in a stadium and you're cheering on a home team uh and and to not be able to experience that is is really it, you feel excluded. Uh, you don't feel like, like, like you don't feel as, as deeply connected. And so, uh, man, the power of, of, of those experiences, I, I just can't say enough about. And, and to see that on the kids' faces is truly amazing. Well, a, a quick way to learn uh, how important that sense of community is, is to, uh, is to be rooting for the away team. I, I grew up a New York Jets fan in Chicago. <laughs> that was a very rough okay. Every every other year, the Jets would come to play the Bears, and that was a very tough thing. I miss sports. That's all I'm gonna say. I really, I really miss sports. Yeah, and I'm I'm a Philly fan living in Pittsburgh, so uh, yeah, there's no love for me when I'm rooting for Philly Philly yeah, teams. Yeah, that sounds like that must be rough. So, Jason, tell me where where does tickets for kids go from here? What's like the next step? Where's your what do you see as being the biggest opportunity for growth? Yeah. So, um, you know, pandemic aside, what we had done is we just set forth a new strategic plan because we grew to be a national organization in response to our ticket donors. So the first 
uh, you know, big national donor to ask us to do stuff for them in other markets was probably Cirque du Soleil um, 15 years ago. They said, you're doing ticket distribution so well for us in Pittsburgh, we can't find other organizations to do it quite as effectively as you in other markets. Will you do this for us? Of course, we said, yes, what a great opportunity. And then MLB followed soon after that. Um, but what we've realized now is that um, like any nonprofit, like any business, you can't be everything to everyone. Um, and at some point you end up diluting or, or you, you risk the potential of diluting the model and the product uh, if you spread yourself too thin. And so we have um, established a strategic plan that sets our, our focus for growth on four markets um, with the plan to add additional markets after those four become you know, financially sustainable uh, on their own. And those markets are the Twin Cities uh, in Minnesota, Greater New York City, Western Pennsylvania, and Tampa Bay region in Florida. So speaking about not thinning out the market too much, you know, and, and that strategic growth and that careful growth, um, have you considered going into like other ticket type, um, I guess, things? Amusement parks, airplane tickets. Like, could you like directly like find an empty flight to Cabo and send a bunch of kids to Cabo for a few days? Oh, that would be uh, interesting and <laughs> tricky. <laughs> we had not thought about that, um, but I volunteer to go with them. Yeah, if you need another volunteer to chaperone, yeah, we can chaperone I, also. We yeah. might be able to clear a right. schedule for Cabo. We're cat people. Sounds we're very, good. we're very, we're very responsible. Let, let's work on that together, guys. Um, but do you see those opportunities? Are those opportunities ever presented to you, or is it like really specifically to the the inter- more the entertainment? I guess entertainment and museum market. It really is more the entertainment and museum market. Uh, We have had those opportunities uh, presented from time to time, Um, but what I always look to do is say is. Whenever there's an opportunity, is there somebody else already doing this and are they doing it better than us? Because if they are, what we should be doing is collaborating with them. So if there's, you know, a Make-A-Wish Foundation or an organization like that, that's more about, you know, longer term experiences, vacation type experiences, things of that nature, then what we should be doing is collaborating, not, you know, crowding the market if, if, if that's what makes the most sense. And so um, even when we get opportunities ticketed opportunities in other cities, we always look to see who else is in that city like Tickets for Kids. Let's work together. Let's leverage, uh, you know, the power of our, our two networks uh, instead of trying to enter into a space where where there is somebody else already doing it and, and potentially doing it better. You, you had mentioned, actually, that you had acquired um, another similar-like organization. You had actually acquired two, correct? That's right. Yeah. So Ticks for Tots out of, uh, as I mentioned, Minneapolis and Seats of Dreams out of New York. So what was that? What was that like? Um, I guess, pardon my ignorance, but how does one 501c3 sort of acquire another 501c3? Sure. I, I, I said acquire. We merged the organizations uh, uh, technically. And um, what it meant was that's a great example of, of what I said about looking for people in a market who are already doing what we're doing. So in 2013, I think it was the MLB all-star game was in Minneapolis. Uh, we do distribution for FanFest for MLB uh, each year. And we said, is there anybody else there? And there was this organization tits for tots. So we talked to them. We said, let's partner at the same time. Tits for tots was trying to figure out their long-term sustainability plan. Uh, and so the conversation evolved from there, asking each other the question, would we be more effective together? 
Uh, and ultimately we answered yes. Uh, and, and so we came together, we tried to figure out, you know, is there anything that would make this not work if we join the two organizations? Is there anything that, that were non-starters for either one of us? And, and there weren't. And I think what was key there was that both founders were truly mission-driven. Um, and so fast forward a couple of years, there was an organization in New York who, who had the same question. They were saying, you know, how do we sustain long-term? Um, and they looked at tickets for kids and um, said, you know, you guys have figured out the funding model. Um, we'd like to talk with you about how, how maybe we become part of, of your organization. Um, we had conversations for a couple of years there uh, and then ultimately merged the organizations. So what that looks like practically is you you communicate with the network of relationships that make it possible why you're doing that. Uh, so the ticket donors, the agencies who receive the tickets, why you're merging the organizations, um, and you just you bring those relationships into the fold and, and you merge any assets that the organization has. Um, what What's really interesting for me and, and what I probably enjoy most is trying to figure out how you meld the cultures of the organization. Because uh, inevitably, each each organization has a unique culture, um, and so what that looks like at the board level when you bring board members on, and what it looks like at the staff level, uh, and even with the ticket donors and the agency partners, those are, are probably some of the more challenging components of it. That's really fascinating, actually. That kind of opens up a whole a whole bunch of new thoughts in my mind. Um, but that it, it's a very cool it's a very cool takeaway. I think is the idea of of not going into markets. Um, other than just to service the community, and when you do that and you find those similar similar organizations, then the idea of collaboration and what became a merger seems like a, a very natural natural result. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think um, you know that's probably a natural progression that we're going to see as we come out of uh, the pandemic. Is is more organizations looking to one another to saying to say, how can we collaborate more? Whether that means shared services, uh, back-end resources, things like that. Um, I, I think we're going to continue to see more of that in the nonprofit sector. So, Jason, we don't want to take up the rest of your day, but we have this, uh, we have a discussion that we have constantly on this podcast about um, the merits of the paper boarding pass versus the digital boarding pass. And okay. as someone who probably travels a lot, we'd, uh, we'd like to get your thoughts uh, on the matter. And what you prefer? Uh, totally digital, digital boarding pass until the battery dies. I would, uh, yep, hands down. Okay, hands down. I like the. Uh, that's a vote. That's a vote for the digital. Yeah. It was very, so then uh, I imagine, I, but I imagine the kids that are walking into all these uh, venues have paper tickets, though, right? Uh, surprisingly, we're going increasingly digital. Oh my gosh! Um, so probably, yeah, probably only about forty percent of our tickets now. Our paper uh, and their paper picked up at wall call, uh, but the rest are going digital. So that's a challenge that we have to continually stay ahead of. And so when we talked about, you know, some of the overhead and, and, and what is it that we're we're running, a lot of it is keeping pace with the ticket industry, making sure that we're able to provide, uh, you know, that IT infrastructure and resources to our agency partners to be able to get those tickets and and have them available, et cetera. So it's a it's a pretty um, challenging, but but uh, interesting problem to try to solve. Well, that's a big swing for our debate here on the podcast, but uh, I guess we'll take it. Jason, thank you very, very much for your time. I really appreciate it. You do awesome work. Hey, thank work. you guys. Anyone that wants to check out more, you can look them up online at ticketsforkids.com. And uh, Jason, have a great day. Thanks, you guys as well.
First of all, can I just say you were going very alpha dog on the interview? What do you mean? I asked too many questions? It's okay. You have a cold. I don't know that our listeners want to hear you with a cold. Don't say that. That's HIPAA. I mean, it's literally not HIPAA. <laughs> Is it? It might be HIPAA. No, it's not HIPAA. Okay, well, you know what? You uh, you go first. Um, I want tickets. <laughs> That's what I thought. I really like, it only dawned on me in the middle of the interview that feeling that you get when you walk into an event like that is really cool and it's empowering and it's inspiring and um, why should that not be something to be shared with the community uh, especially those that are not privileged to have that that experience so I imagine it's, it's he's that's a pretty awesome job that he's got he basically like literally puts smiles on kids faces yeah and also he just I mean, he just plays broker all day just right. for Something value, more valuable than money. I guess. Right. I mean, I, I think what I find so fascinating is that the organization really has positioned themselves in like the perfect spot. There's a, it's like, you know, there's a need and there's a need and he gets to fulfill, you know, helping these organizations as they educate and they inspire their, their participants. And at the same time, there are people that are calling that are literally looking to give away tickets to do exactly that. I think it's funny to think about like top name performers using tickets for kids to fill to fill their shows. Look, I, I'm sure it's more relevant, you know, depending on especially when it comes to the sports. Like you know which teams um, you know, generally have more empty seats. You know, there there are two baseball teams in Chicago. One of them probably sells more tickets than the other, you know. Right. That's an interesting point also, is that like the real testament to these teams and these venues and organizations and what their feel for the community is, is that are they always looking to service the community, even when it actually costs them as, you know, there's some sort of sacrifice, financial sacrifice. Right. So I'm sure that every team does have budgeted into their, you know, operations, you know, this type of thing, giving away X amount of, tic- X amount of tickets for charity. Um, and it's just really cool that, you know, he could be that guy who, you know, helps fulfill that. Um, I also, you know, I wish we would have spoken a, l- a little bit more about, you know, board development and whatnot. It's pretty interesting to have a, a national organization with a national board. Yeah. You know, when do they get together? How do they get together? You know, um, but uh, seems like a special guy. Seems like a special guy. Jason really has got his, his stuff together. So that's cool. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, he did mention at the end, the merging of two organizations and cultures. I found that very interesting. Um, that's kind of a cool thing. We in Camp McGill West did something similar. We bought another campus um, and took over some of that staff. So I think we had a similar experience there. But um, there's a lot of learning, and uh, it's a pretty interesting thing to think about when organizations merge, um, which I imagine is no different than for-profit businesses. I would agree. Okay. So uh, we haven't done LinkSwap in a while. Um, I'm not sure it's the, the best segment anymore, just to be totally honest. It's getting kind of stale. However... I feel like today we have to make an exception simply because, so as many of you know, I have a little bit of a, a big mouth and I tend to say things when other people wouldn't. So there's a certain movement on LinkedIn right now. I don't want to talk about it too much. I'm not going to say what it's about, but it's kind of annoying when it's always in your feed. So there's one guy who some, for some reason keeps going into my feed and he was like posting about it. So like in the DMs, I basically said, can you please stop doing that? It's not a good thing. And uh, he basically put me on blast. Uh, on LinkedIn. So I basically got like 700 LinkedIn requests in the last three days. So I feel like I have to weed some of them out. Because this guy blasted you? Yeah, he wrote to me like, check out Srili Bogopolsky. He's a great guy if you want to have a meaningful conversation. 
So the funny part is like at first I was like, oh, oh my, my god, gosh, all my all my mentions are gonna blow up. But then I realized that like his posts don't get a lot of traction, and basically it was only two of my friends just making jokes in the comments. Then so this guy probably thought like he like got me, but like really the joke was on him. But but or or was it if you in fact got seven hundred LinkedIn? No, well I'm just saying requests. that the fact that he probably thought like there was people like making fun of me in the comments, but like oh. really they were texting me about it behind the scenes. So it was really gotcha. jokes on him. So I just have to weed some of these out. So if you don't mind. Okay. So basically you had an influx of requests, so we're going to go through them. Yeah. I, I literally have 42 requests outstanding right now. What exactly motivated you to message the guy? Like you could have just not followed him. You hit the I just, unfollow. I, just, I have this urge to do the right thing. To do the right thing. And the right thing told you that you were, you had to offer advice, unsolicited advice. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Ready to go? Go for it. This guy, his thing just says, I love people. That's all it says. That's his, uh, that's his biography. Is it a good profile pic? Kind of. It, I can't tell if it's like a joke or not. Wait, the profile pic or just the whole profile? He's not like, he's, it's like he's purposely trying not to be professional. That's mm -hmm. kind of what it's like. I mean, you could be professional at not being professional. That could be his angle. But does, is there any service mentioned? What does he do? Hi, how are you doing today? I'm an average software engineer with experience in multiple languages throughout the entire stack. I've also studied organic chemistry, music theory, and basic anatomy. However, my primary goal is to make sure you have an easier time solving your problems in business. You're a little, is, he's a little bit everywhere. This I, is what we call the overreach. Yeah, overreach. Uh, he's also an intern. <laughs> No, really? Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, an, so that's an overreach. That's a, I think this is a no. The the overstating of service and purpose is uh, is always a red flag. For me, at least. It could be that people disagree. Okay, here's another one. Here we go. Ready? I can't save you money on health insurance unless you let me. Oh, that's cute. Employee benefits, health insurance, hashtag insurance maven. Uh-huh. A little pretentious, but that's kind of cute. Message me for your free health insurance quote. That's bold. I I, 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 I I, commend it. Is the organization in the market for a new health insurance provider? Ours? No. No. So this is a no. Okay. That's fine. Unless it's a yeah. But here's the problem. I would say yes, but I feel like if I say yes, it means there's a pitch coming immediately. I think, you know what? Yeah, we should that, say yes as a case study. Let's do that. I'm going to say yes. Say yes, and let's see how long it is before that guy messages you. Okay, here we go. We're saying yes. Okay, note the time, and then we can let our listeners know. Okay, yeah. our next guy. Here we go. This guy's also way everywhere. Director of fundraising development, personal coach, Amazon seller, light bulbs and fixture specialist, I mean, volunteer. Let me just defend the guy for a minute. What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to create a different LinkedIn account for each one of those jobs? No, no I think that you just you you take your this is like in his in his like in his title. You take the main thing, you put it there, and then you I guess like you know LinkedIn offers you volunteer experience and other. Like you can put all your things in your experience thing. Why are you putting right. it in your title? No, yeah, I mean listen, my my Facebook feed, for whatever reason, I have a lot of life coaches on there. They're not really. I mean, some of them might be life coaches, but. They're not really, you know, the dietitian life coach line. Have we spoke about this yet? No, so that's why I'm bringing it up now because someone's very upset that I've had a few opportunities to talk about it. Can I just it's can the I just swipe on this guy first? We'll come back to this. Yeah, sorry. Okay, um, personal coaches. When I help my personal life, I go to my friends. They're, they're, I, I don't need some random outsider who doesn't know me 
to give their takes on my I know, but personal pe- life. people do hire personal coaches, so you might not. Uh, so I, hire, I would hire a psychologist. Okay, this guy's a no. <laughs> also, stay in your lane. Okay, health coaches, personal coaches. Let's take life, them, let's life take, coaches. They're all the same. Let's take them down. Go for it. Well, I don't need to take them down. I just think in the same vein, this idea of overstating what it is. If you're a dietitian or a nutritionist, so you help me um, get my eating habits in line, you know, if you do Metafast, uh, now what's it called? Something else now? Optavia, Octavia, Optavia, whatever, however you pronounce it. Um, you're not out to solve my every problem. You're just there to actually. You're only brokering. You're not even. You're not even. You're not even first of all, you're not even solving you're not even a problem. Managing a diet. You're also, you're not even solving you're a problem. Brokering food. You're not solving a problem. Whatever the point is. Because in the end of the day, you don't. It doesn't change your eating habits. It's like okay, I eat manufactured diet, dietitian food for three months. Should we? I get, lose weight and then I stop and then I eat normally again and I put weight back on. I think we should have this debate with. Uh, I think we should invite one. Let's pick one dietitian and debate them and have them on the show. Just so we could have this conversation with them. Maybe let's give them a chance. Honestly, let's I would respect them more and just be like, if they just came clean and be like, look, guys, you're right. It's I'm a just, hustle. I'm just in it to make a buck. It's a hustle. I just, you're probably going to gain the weight back. You'll feel good about yourself for a few months. Your spouse will probably be mad about spending the money. Someone, well, some people have kept the weight off. I just, I would love to know the statistics and the truth. Listen, it's just not a lifestyle. I just don't like that they're like, oh, you know, some like guys like, oh, my friend Kristen. You know, she lost a hundred pounds. Dude, you don't, you're, you're not friends with Kristen. It's clearly a copied and pasted post. Like, why do you do that every day? Look, I have a Stop friend calling them your friends. I was talking to someone who actually is a psychologist, and uh, we were talking about he was actually heavier, and then he like lost a lot of weight. So I said, you know, how'd you do it? And he's like, honestly, I just changed my mindset in my relationship with food. Like, I don't need food. I don't eat food to eat. I eat food to just be healthy. So like, that actually is a lifestyle change. And this was not a pitch. He's not a he's not a health coach. He was just telling me how he lost the weight. Right, but you know what? I I really think I I think more and more about this. I think we should we should bring one of these people on and let them sort of speak on behalf of the community. I don't think we should give them the platform. I think we should. <laughs> so if anyone, if any of our listeners out there have someone they want to nominate, oh, as an idea of someone to bring on, I I, I actually prefer it to be one of these Octavia coaches. Do we want a life coach or just an Octavia coach? No, we want an Octavia. Is it Octavia? I'm calling it Octavia. I don't care. I don't care what it. I think it'd be right. I think it'd be funner to make them have to d- defend themselves. No, they would. And, and and hey, we'll go into it with somewhat of an open mind. Let's bring an Octavia person on who believes that the, who likes to call themselves some sort of life coach, and let's see. Maybe we'll be enlightened. I have a couple ideas actually of who I think it would be fun to have on. Okay, so just back to LinkSwipe for a second. Sorry, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Anyway, no, same idea, very, overstating. It's important, but let's no, that move was on. that was very important. So I have another uh, life insurance agent here. So I think for the same case study, I'm just going to accept it, just to see how long he's going to take to to pitch me life insurance. Good idea. Okay. Oh, here and okay, and now we you know we talk about what you shouldn't do. Here's what you should do. Hey, Israel, I'd like to invite you to connect and subscribe to my weekly content roundup that covers all things nonprofit and innovative fundraising tactics. You can check out last week's video and subscribe here. So he's very forward with what he wants to do. I like that. I respect that. He's also targeting me who's in his field. Yeah. And uh, he actually seems like a nice guy. And he says, you know, helped raise $100 million of non- for nonprofits, CEO of fundraising. Has he listened to the podcast? Also, Liberty and North Korea board chair. I like that. I think that's a good cause. And I say he's on both sides. He's on the fundraising side. He's on the board side. Has he listened to the podcast? I don't know. We're going to find out. I'm going to accept it. Okay. And then when he messages you, you'll... Have him listen to the podcast. 
do you uh do you want to do any you're good um i'm telling you i don't even know how to open the the app let alone go through this whole link swipe thing. I thought we gave up on this segment, so I haven't I haven't really spent much time preparing for but it. But I think today was important. I think there's going to be a lot of lessons out of this case study. I'm really excited to get a life coach on, I'm just saying. Okay, so one of my writers, I really only have one white writer, that's the truth. Maybe two. But my writer, so my primary writer, I like that. is actually, he's about to have a baby. And uh, he's busy in, in, in law school and in his internship. So I'm sure he would maybe appreciate if we could uh, get get some information on, on on paternity leave, so I think that maybe I have the perfect person to ask for their thoughts on paternity leave. Who's that? Obviously, it's going to be our uncle Chuck. Uncle Chuck. Uncle Chuck's going to have some some pretty uh, interesting. I imagine very traditional views. Yeah, let's see. Um, All right. Well, let's see. So this is uh, the next segment of what's up, Uncle Chuck. What's up, Uncle Chuck? What's up, bro? Good morning. Good How you morning. doing? Okay, so Great. just to be clear, you've had no time to prepare for this question, which is fine, but we would like to get your it's it's why particularly are you, relevant. Wait, 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 wait. Why are we, why are you recording at so early? Because <laughs> our voices are deep. We, we feel came fresh. Into the office. We feel bushy tailed. I did not have my coffee yet. Oh, good. So I think it'll make your answer even better. Yeah, that'll be good. All right, so we go. Fire away. Okay, uh, Uncle wait, Chuck. Wait, wait, wait. Whatever answer I answer, even if you don't like you don't edit it. Uh, we'll see. We'll have to see about that. I got to be honest. Here, uncle, uncle, I got to be honest. This is going... You you have no idea where, no idea where this is going, and you, you probably, you know... All right, stop it. Just ask the question. Go. Okay. Uncle Chuck, what are your thoughts on paternity leave? Male or female? Male. That's paternity. Paternity. Leave. It was hard for him to hear that. Paternity leave. Um. Don't like it. Okay. What's your rationale? Man's job. Go out and work. Saying there's nothing that should ever get in the way of a man and his job. Correct. Support your family, brick by brick. Go out to the fields, do your thing, do your job. Go home, bring back, you know. That, that's the way it's been done for for hundreds of years, and now they want to change their way of life. <laughs> and when you start changing what's not what's not broke, that's when the problems start. Now, there are countries you know? out there, apparently, that, like, offer a lot of paternity leave. Well, there's also a lot of countries out there that um, have a lot of problems because of stuff like that. First, it starts with paternity leave. It, yeah, there, there's a reason those countries aren't powerhouses. Look at Russia. Look at China. The other two powerhouses in America, do they have paternity leave? I don't there's know. Two other, <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I, I couldn't say. You honestly think Putin... Give paternity leave. <laughs> Uncle Chuck, no politics on the show. <laughs> no, this is no, fine. No, 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 no it's politics. not politics. It's this not is not politics. politics, right. It's just like, is that how you want to raise your children? Or do you want to raise your children knowing that every day you wake up, you grind the nine to five, 
you get home, you have a cold beer, you know, you get up and do the grind again and just, you know, it's more like, you know, salt of the earth guys, you know, the grinders, the Josh Rosens out there, the Yol Goldbergs. Um, excuse guys. me, um, Uncle Chuck, some people may say that uh, Yol Goldberg has been on paternity leave for the last 20 years. Care to address that? <laughs> Yol Goldberg is honestly probably one of the hardest working men I know, besides my father. Your father's um, father a good man. He's a good man. Yeah, Yol Goldberg, you know, is also like these guys, you know, it's just the. Uh, the guys that want to put them in their Levi's, they don't bother nobody. That's that's the backbone of our country. Uncle Chuck, you mentioned uh, you know getting home at night, cold beer. What are your what are your th- bonus Uncle Chuck question? What what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on hard seltzer? On how it tastes, or just the concept of it? Let's go with concept, because there's a lot of lifestyle stuff around the hard self, seltzer stuff these days. Not a fan again. Oh, my gosh. Changing everything that we believe in. And it's, it's for a woman. <laughs> Uncle Chuck, would you describe yourself as a traditionalist? I'm just getting, I'm, I'm getting that vibe. Yeah, I believe in traditionalist. I'm a constitutionalist as well. I believe in nope. stuff how it's meant to be, and not politics. Not getting into politics. Okay. I will not say my political beliefs because we don't do politics on the show. Um, yeah, I believe that certain things in life are just the way it's supposed to be, the way God intended it to be. Um, and so that's you think? The way we so you so so I'll talk, you're, you mean to say that you think that God did not intend for alcohol to be mil- to be mixed with seltzer? Not for men to drink, no. What if I told you that 990 Talk likes hard seltzer? I, I, I get why you like it. I personally do not like it. I tried it once. I tried something called a truly, um, um, what flavor was it? Lemonade. It's delicious. In the great, in the great state of Wisconsin. When I was up in the great state of Wisconsin, um, did not like it. I do understand why you would like it. It was too sweet for me personally, but I do understand why you would like it. I listen. I so, I, I do like I, the Trulies, but they do not replace a beer. That I, right? No, don't get me wrong. It's a different vibe. Right. I like them. Let me they, ask you a question. Just put yourself. You know, you go out to the cornfields. You know, you wake up at six. You go there. You're working all day. You stop for your thirty minutes. To have, you know, to have your tuna on rye that your old lady prepared for you. Get back, you know, you have dinner. You want to have with a truly or do you want to have with a good cold domestic? Oh, one second. A good cold domestic Uncle Chuck, day are you not, do you not drink Belgium? I do not. I only drink domestic. You know, I only drink and domestic. And that, that has nothing to do with politics. I feel like it's like a, mid- it's like a Midwest thing. It might be. I and love. Also, I don't, I don't even. I don't even. I don't even drink uh, Budweiser anymore. It was uh, purchased by a Belgian company. Hmm. Uh, I drink. Yeah. I mean. So on that note, would you, on that on that note, would you would would it be accurate to say bourbon and not scotch? Oh yeah, of course. That's not even a. That's yeah. You, you'll never ever ever find. Me drinking scotch ever. 
What is your a, what is your cold beer chance, of choice? There's a better chance of me wearing Nike than drinking scotch. Okay, that, now getting to politics. Okay, what's <laughs> no, what? no, no, comfort wise. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Hold on. Um, what is your cold beer of choice? Um, uh, you gotta go with Miller Genuine Draft Champagne of Beers. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, right. and also by the way, the way it looks when it comes out, you know. The wrapping and the way it looks on it, it just looks nice. It's a nice yes. presentation. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Uncle Chuck, we don't want to we don't want to distract you from your coffees. You should get to that. But uh, listen, we, right. we appreciate your insight. But wait, now my question to ask you guys. Oh, yeah, go for it. Dunkin' or Starbucks? Uh, I'm afraid to answer, but I, I don't know. Where, you're going to get mad at me, but I'm a Starbucks guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I saw that coming. I Bro, I, you, saw that, you saw that coming like... like Oh my God! Look, Unc, so Unc, I gotta tell you, I pro- I will spend the extra couple bucks in order to have coffee instead of glorified uh, bean water. Wow, must be nice, bro. I mean, we're during a pandemic, but okay, whatever. Uncle, go go have your coffee, okay? Go have Thank your bean you water. Thank you so much. We'll love talk. you guys. Take Bye. care. Love you guys. Bye. That was uh, unpredictable. <laughs> it's entertaining every time. I'm I know. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? He he's a great homie. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm happy that he's always you know looking out for us in terms of our our, our diets and just making sure that you know we're we're you know you always need your your uncle to just you know you know set you straight yes yeah, right? you know to, to hook it That's up for exactly you exactly you know, what he's there them. for us to set us straight yeah so we appreciate that and uh, it was good to hear it was uh, it was great to hear from him. Homies looking out for me, they the ones who family. I've been on that melody, it's obvious this energy.